If you have your Bibles, you probably know where we're going to go. We'll be in John chapter 1. We've only got one verse left in this chapter. And we will not complete this chapter in the first service. We are breaking this verse apart into two different sermons. And the second one tonight is, will be on a type and shadow that we find in the Old Testament pointing to this um, verse here in the New Testament. We'll talk about the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And we'll tie that back into the Old Testament, into the book of Genesis, and show that a similar vision was given, except that there was one thing that was different in that vision. And it's a key thing that was miss missing in the dream that Jacob had to compare to what we see here now in the Gospel according to John. But we'll read verse 51, and then we will just talk about one specific thing today, and it's the title, The Son of Man. Chapter 1, verse 51, says this, And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the rain. Lord, you are sovereign over every drop that's falling right now. You know exactly where every drop is supposed to fall. You know where every leaf is supposed to land that may, by the wind, be blown off. We thank you that we have comfort in that. And Lord, we thank you that we can rest in the fact that you are God and you are sovereign and you are omnipotent and you are holy. And Lord, we thank you that you are the Son of Man. And I pray, Lord, that today that we would understand that name more deeply, more amazing to us than it's ever been. Lord, because it is who you are. So we pray that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, would lead us into all truth today. And we could see you high and lifted up in all your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to read some names here. This is not an exhaustive list, but I just want to begin to name and list some titles or names given to Jesus. The Word. You know that one. The Logos. The Eternal Word. Lamb of God. Messiah. Christ. Savior. Light of the world, King of Israel, Consolation of Israel, Rabbi, Teacher, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Creator, Counselor, Good Shepherd, High Priest, Mediator, Prophet, Cornerstone, Emmanuel, Righteous Judge, Redeemer, Alpha and Omega, The Last Adam, Life-Giving Spirit, Advocate or Paraclete, Prince of Peace, and Ego I Me, the Great I Am. That's not even close to an exhaustive list. But those are titles and, and, and names that are given to Jesus throughout the Bible. But that's not the one that Jesus uses 
the most when describing himself. And to me, I think it would be interesting to know if Jesus was to refer to himself by one title in the Bible more than any other titles, to me that would pique my interest and it would make me think, why is that the case? And of all these titles and all these names that you've just heard, when Jesus refers to who he is, he does not refer to himself the most using any of these. You know what title that Jesus uses to describe himself more than any other in the New Testament? The Son of Man. That's important. And here's the sad reality, I believe. I believe if you went into every church into America today and you said, what title did Jesus give to himself or describe himself the most in the New Testament? I don't think very many people would say, Son of Man. I never knew that for a long time. And if you asked, well, what does that mean? What does the Son of Man mean? You probably would get some, uh, some misunderstanding of that or the, 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 the definition or the reason that they think that he calls himself that would probably be a little skewed. But here's the whole focus that when we, from this day on, when we look to the New Testament and we see the term Son of Man, we don't gloss over it. We stop, we look at it, we reverence it, and we understand what Jesus is talking about. Because out of Jesus' lips, in describing himself, the Son of Man is the primary title that he gives in describing himself. That's significant. It's not a coincidence, but it's conveying something. And if we're not careful, we, we look at something that's very similar, Son of God. And we compare that with Son of Man. And which one of those sounds more heavenly to you? Son of God. And it is. It's a heavenly title. And if we're not careful, we look at Son of God as this heavenly title, and we look at Son of Man as just this lowly title, speaking of His humanity. But it's absolutely not the case. The reason that Jesus declares Himself the Son of Man is because it is the exalted title. It is an exalted position, and it is of great worth that we are to know this. And just to compare these really quick, we, we look to the term Son of God. And, and do you realize that there are human beings in the Bible that are lowercase s called sons of God? You are if you're a child of God. Romans 8 tells us by the, the adoption into his kingdom, into his family, we have been adopted as what? Sons of God. And we also see that in the Bible, it, who you are obedient to is almost the title that we see of son of God or you're the children of God. God or the children of the devil. You remember in John chapter 8 when he's talking to the Pharisees there and he says, you don't believe because you are of your father, the devil. You're sons of the devil. So we see that those who, to whom you are obedient, if you are obedient to God, you would be a son of God. If you've been adopted into that family to be in union with that sonship with Christ, then we are lowercase s, sons of God. So there is a humanity portion in that term. But there's only one monogenes, or the unique son, the only begotten son, who's in the bosom of the Father. That is the eternal Logos. He is the capital S, Son of God. The Father only has only one begotten eternal son who's in his bosom, but he has a whole bunch of adopted sons. So we see that, that the Son of God, yes, it's elevated, and yes, it speaks to the eternal sonship of Christ, but it can also have in a 
a, a other view in the right term, those who are obedient to Christ and of his children, or, or who are his children. But it does speak to his eternal sonship and deity and divinity. But then we look to the Son of Man. And the Son of Man has uh, application where it does speak of people that are born of natural means and they're, they're of men. We look at uh, Ezekiel in the, uh, the Old Testament. So many times he's referenced as a son of man. Ezekiel's not a, a deity. Ezekiel's not holy. No offense, Zeke. You can... <laughs> but that's a term of a common man. We are all born of natural means. We're all born by natural means and by physical way. We are sons of men. However... When Jesus refers to himself here, it takes on a little different term. And so many times, and, and maybe you've thought this, maybe when you hear that term son of man, the first thing that comes to our mind is it speaks of his incarnation. It speaks of the hypostatic union where the eternal logos, the eternal word became flesh. And, and in this hypostatic union, he, he brings the, the divine and the, the humanity into the God man, Jesus. They, they don't overcross, they're unique and distinct, but they're in the God-man. And that is true. He does take on humanity. He is truly God. He is truly man, and He is that way for all eternity. There's no uh, breaking apart of that hypostatic union. In heaven, in eternity, He is the God-man forever. So the Son of Man can speak of this, uh, this, this lowly humiliation of Him taking on flesh, humbling Himself, and speaking of that humanity portion, however, that is not what I believe Jesus has in mind when he over and over and over and over declares that I am the Son of Man. And we find this, and, and this is going to come back to play a little bit tonight, but speaking of that humanity that he put on and the Son of Man and, and some, as we speak about that human nature that he took on, he does have a human nature, and he is the divine nature because he is the mediator between God and man. That's what 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 5 says. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So we must be thankful for that incarnation. But Jesus, I believe, has something else in mind. An exalted, triumphant, reigning thought. And Matt was correct. There's only one place to go here, Daniel chapter 7. So if you will, turn with me there. And we begin to look at what Jesus has in mind when he refers to himself as the Son of Man. And we will see that it is not a lowly thing, it is not a meek thing, it is not a mild thing, it is not speaking just of his humanity, but it speaks of something eternal and glorious. And we find this in Daniel chapter 7. Who's ever been here and heard the song, um, Ancient of Days? We sung that. Well, let's start there in verse 9 of this chapter. Because the Ancient of Days is in this text. Speaking of the Father, listen to what it says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. This is a vision of Daniel. Listen. It says, I kept looking... Until the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, 
and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing, and coming out from before him, thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court set, and the books were open. Now you have a courtroom setting. And you will find throughout the Bible, there is a courtroom setting that is a, a predominant theme. The terms justification and all those things, that's condemnation. All that comes from a courtroom setting. And here we have the Ancient of Days. The one who has no beginning, no end, the Father. He is setting there the, the, the court of heaven. The books are opened. And then go down to verse number 13 where it says, The Son of Man is presented. This is what Jesus has in mind when he says, I am the Son of Man. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days. That'll be important. And he was presented before him. And listen to what happens to this one who comes up, the Son of Man, who's presented to the Ancient of Days. And to him was given dominion, glory, a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Does that sound meek and lowly? Does that sound to you like the primary thing he has in mind is speaking of his incarnation in this lowly state of humanity that he put on? This text says something amazing that we have to understand. That the Son of Man comes up on the clouds. He's coming up and he's being presented to the Ancient of Days. And he takes that seat of authority and rule and he has dominion and power in all the tribes and all the languages and all the people of this world are under his dominion. He has an everlasting dominion. His kingdom will never pass away. This is why Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of Man, because he is the one that Daniel saw that would come up to the Ancient of Days and rule and reign and have all authority, even over judgment. This is what Jesus has in mind. This is the power of Jesus. This is the eternal reign of Jesus. This is the triumph of Jesus. And this is speaking of the righteous judge that he is. This is why I believe Jesus over and over and over again, I am the Son of Man. I am the Son of Man. As he's referencing Daniel chapter 7 in all his glory and power. But I want to draw your attention to two aspects of this. Is that you will find in verse number 13 of Daniel 7. I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming and he came up. To the Ancient of Days. He came up to the Ancient of Days. That's important because there's two aspects of Christ's earthly ministry that it kind of gets categorized into. The first one is the humiliation aspect of his earthly ministry. And we find that in the Incarnation. We find that, that he humbled himself and took on flesh. We find that in Philippians chapter 2. Let me just read this really quickly. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, 
have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, that this eternal Logos, the eternal Word, took on flesh, became flesh, joined the two natures, the divine and the humanity, and he humbled himself. That is the humiliation aspect that, that most scholars and theologians will talk about. That, that is the coming down to this earth, is the humiliation aspect. Born in humble means, born in a manger, mocked upon, spit upon, ridiculed, the humiliation of the creator of this world to come and step into his creation. He came down from heaven to this earth. He entered time and space and he entered his creation. This is the incarnation. This is the descension, if you will. Eternally God, eternally with the Father, but in the incarnation, he descends. And you say, well, why is that so important? Why are we talking about his descension down? Well, because John 3.13 tells us a very important clue. When it says, no one has ascended into heaven but he who has descended from heaven, comma, or colon, the Son of Man. The, the way that the Son of Man can come up to the throne is that he has descended down first. It's the humiliation. It's the, the earthly ministry. It's the death on the cross. But that's just the first part. Then there's the resurrection. That is his exaltation. There's two aspects, humiliation, exaltation. And no one ascends to the Father. No one ascends to heaven except for that one who has descended first, the Son of Man. This ascension to set beside the Ancient of Days is after the resurrection. It's His ascension into heaven where He eternally sets at the right hand of the Ancient of Days to rule and to reign. Let us always make that distinction that His earthly ministry was one of dissension, there's the humiliation. But it didn't stop there. It was the exaltation to why in this verse, in chapter 7, verse 13, he can come up to the Ancient of Days, ascending to the Father because he descended from heaven to begin with, only to ascend to the Ancient of Days. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of man. And John 6, 62 says something similar. It says, what then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? We have to get this picture. He's there first. He comes down in the incarnation and then in that exaltation. This is the vision that Daniel sees. That He sets on the right hand with dominion and power as the righteous judge of all the earth. You begin to see why Jesus would refer to Himself as the Son of Man. It's a powerful thing. It's a it's a triumphant title speaking here in Daniel chapter 7. There's humiliation, but then there's exaltation. And to, that is the reason that he can ascend and be presented to the Ancient of Days. The one who descended is the one who can ascend, the Son of, the son of Man. On the back of your first page, we have some verses just where there's mention of the Son of Man. So you can see that this high and exalted, eternal, divine position and authority and title given to Jesus, you can see how this plays out in some of these verses. 
And maybe you've heard these verses. I know you've heard some of these verses. But if we're not careful, if you're anything like me, you see the Son of Man and just as quick as you can read it, you've forgotten all about it and you don't know what it means. But now you know what it means. You know that it means that after His resurrection, He is at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. Look at some of these verses. Luke chapter 5. This is the man who was paralyzed and he was lowered down from the roof by his friends and... Here's what he says in Luke chapter 5, verse 24. But to you, or but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. How can the Son of Man have authority to forgive sin? Because all authority is given to him on heaven and earth. It's an exalted position. Luke 18, verse 31, he said, He took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. I had to throw that one in there because, you know, I, it, we have preached and preached and preached at the Old Testament pointing to the New, and here you have it, that the Son of Man is prophesied and spoken about in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, you know, these things about me have to come to pass. Matthew 12, verse 8 says, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then Matthew 16, if you were here last week, you heard this. You heard this question that Jesus asked Peter. But now you know what the Son of Man means, and listen to it differently now. In Caesarea Philippi, here's what it says. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Speaking of himself. And then remember, he asks them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And in John, or Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. Matthew 24, verse 30, And when the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with great power and great glory. It's an authoritative, triumphant role and title given to Jesus. And in Matthew 24, a little later in that chapter, verse 37, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. But I think the thing that we have to really uh, leap into the next section with is what we find in Matthew 26, 64 through 66. Yes, it's underlined. That's mainly for me. So I, wouldn't, I would stop and understand the importance of that. And for you as well, because it's important. Out of the mouth of Jesus now, you will hear him say, I am the fulfillment of Daniel 7. Listen to this. He's standing before, he's, he's there quest, being questioned. He's been on trial after his arrest. And it says this, Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man setting at the right hand of power. Wait a minute, where have you heard that from? Daniel 7. He ascends up to the Ancient of Days and he sets on that throne to where the court and the books are open. And coming on the clouds of heaven, Jesus says of himself that specific thing, saying, that is me, and that is Daniel 7. And you know what? These people here knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew exactly what he was referencing, because look at their response. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has blasphemed. What further need do we have of a witness? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. Why would he deserve death to their minds? 
because he's just said, I am the son of man. I am the one that's going to ascend to the ancient of days. I'm standing before you now, yes, and all the power that you think you have is the power that was given to you from heaven. I'm willingly laying down my life. You're not taking it from me. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to raise it up. Oh, by the way, when I am buried, I will be raised from the dead on the third day, like I've told you before. I will spend some days on this earth, but then I will ascend to my Father, and that is me. I will go on the clouds of glory. I will go on the clouds of heaven to be presented by my Father, the Ancient of Days, to rule and reign forever and ever. What an amazing title, the Son of Man. How many times have we overlooked this? Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. Yes, I'm in the flesh. Yes, you're beating me. Yes, you're whipping me. Yes, I'm dying on a cross. Oh, but hold on. It's all part of the plan. It's all part of my redemption. I'm doing this. This is the love of the Father on display. This is the love of me to lay the life down for the sheep. And I will be raised as a son of man beside my Father, to which I will have all authority, even over judgment. And this happens. This exaltation, this ascension on the clouds to the Ancient of Days happens as he, after the resurrection and after he's raised up into heaven. This is the exaltation. Remember, he who ascends into heaven is the one who has to have descended first. It's the humiliation and it's the exaltation. Listen to these verses about the resurrection with the Son of Man. Matthew 12, 40 says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Doesn't, it mean, doesn't that just sound different now when you hear that term, Son of Man? Three days, three nights, the Son of Man. But don't, don't think that's it. He's going on the clouds. He's going to reign beside the Ancient of Days. Matthew 17, verse 9, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded, saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. That's the exaltation. Luke 25, 50 through 53, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them, and they were carried up and was carried up to heaven. This is the, ex this is the ascension into heaven. This is where he goes upon the clouds as spoken about in Daniel 7. And they worshipped him, returning to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising God. And then the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament is Psalm chapter 110. And here's what it says. This is the most quoted verse in the Old or from the Old Testament to the New. And it simply says this. The Lord says to my Lord, set at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch, out, stretch forth your strong scepter for Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. That is the Son of Man on the clouds, ascending to the Ancient of Days to where he will take his rightful rule and reign and have dominion, power, authority, and judgment. I don't believe that's an accident or any coincidence that that's the most quoted verse from the Old Testament to the New talking about that reign of the Father and the Son. And if you want some proof, we find that that has been fulfilled after he has been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven because we see a clue in it in the story of Stephen being stoned. You remember the story of Stephen being stoned? And he says he looks up to heaven and what does he see? Look, and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened. 
and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He's already there. It's the exaltation. It's the resurrection. It's the ascension on the clouds. Think about this. As the disciples were standing there and they were watching Jesus ascend up into the clouds to not be seen again, that is the prophetic word of Daniel 7 coming to pass. The Son of Man is ascending on the clouds and He's going to the Ancient of Days to where He will sit by the Father and rule and reign with all power, authority, and dominion. And Stephen sees this. Stephen sees the Son of Man at the right hand of God the Father, but he sees Him standing. I speculate that's because one of His children, one of His sheep, are coming home. He's setting to rule. He's setting to reign. But one of his sheep that he's laid his life down for is getting ready to come home. And now the Son of Man is standing. What a welcome that would be. Ruling and reigning beside the Father, the Ancient of Days. But when one of his sheep are getting ready to come home, the Son of Man stands. It doesn't say that about anybody else in the Bible, but... I would like to think that's true. Maybe you've had loved ones that are Christians. And maybe it's been the most painful day in your life. But if you can just imagine that, if you could peel back heaven, that this ancient of days with the Son of Man standing beside him, welcoming his children home. Maybe he's been setting, ruling and reigning. And the time has come. The allotted days of Come, the allotted hours have come, the allotted minutes have come, the allotted seconds have come, and it's time to bring the sheep home, and this Ancient of Days is beside the Son of Man. And maybe the Son of Man stands. He says, welcome home. What a powerful thought that could be. Stephen saw it, but the Son of Man is at the right hand because the fulfillment of Daniel 7 happened in the exaltation and the ascension of Christ. And the only one who can ascend is the one who descended. The humiliation, the exaltation is the Son of Man. But the Bible also says the, courts, the books are open here in this chapter, in Daniel 7. And here's something that's surprising, I think, to a lot of people. Who has been given judgment? It's the Son. All judgment has been given to the Son. The Son of Man is the one who will preside over that judgment. It's an authoritative position. Power, dominion, and judgment. Listen to what it says in John chapter 5, verse 25 through 29. We'll be there a little bit later on in our study of John, but give you a little taste of it now. You'll see that this verse starts with two words back to back. You know the significance of that. Truly, truly, double repetition means listen up. I say to you, an hour is coming and is now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in Himself, Asiety, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself, Asiety. There's the eternal life in Himself. And He gave Him authority to execute judgment. Why? Because He is the Son of Man. That's why He is the judge. 
That's why all judgment has been given to the Son, because we see it again going back to Daniel 7. He descended, he ascends, he sets beside the Ancient of Days. Power, authority, dominion has been given over to him. The books are open, the courtroom is there. And now because he is the Son of Man, all judgment has been given to him. All authority has been given to him. You see how not lowly this title is? It's glorious. It's exalted. And this is why out of the mouth of Jesus himself, it's the one he uses the most. And he gave him all authority to execute judgments because he's the son of man. And we see this in examples in Matthew 25. We won't read all these, but it says, But when the son of man comes in glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on the glorious throne and he will... The nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from the other. And as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Matthew 13, verse 41, talks about that parable of the wheat and the tares. And when he comes back with his angels in fire, it says the Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the lake of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as a son in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. You see, it's the son of man who will come and execute judgment and send those tares into the lake of fire. And then in Luke 22, 20, or Luke 17, 22 through 30, it talks about uh, when the son of man comes, it'll be like the days of Noah and he will execute judgment and fire just like it was in Sodom and Gomorrah. That is referencing the actions of the Son of Man. And here's what we know. Here's why we know this even more proof that this is given to Jesus and this is his title and this is his role because we find it in the sermon that Paul gave on Mars Hill in Acts 17, verse 31. Speaking of Jesus, he says this, But because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men, by raising him from the dead. There's the exaltation. We talked about it. The humiliation, the dissension, the ascension to the right hand of the Ancient of Days. And here this text says, he's going to be the one that judges in perfect righteous judgment. And the proof that was given to this world is because he was raised from the dead. That's the one that will be able to execute perfect judgment. And who is that? The Son of Man. And we see further uh, judgment and further wrath in Revelation eleven fifteen through 18. He talks about there that he take great power and began to reign and the wrath and the time came for the, to be judged and to reward the servants. And it, this is all speaking of the role of the Son of Man. What a great title this is. I've been guilty of this. And you can only answer if you've been guilty of this. The Son of Man. We read it in a verse. And it just right on by. I think it's of great importance that this is the title Jesus used out of his mouth to describe him the most. It can speak of his humanity, but I don't believe that's what is in mind here. It is a little bit because one who descended, that's the humiliation, that's the humanity, that's the incarnation, 
That's the one who can ascend. So it is in that. But the, the exalted Son of God, the exalted Son of Man, ruling and reigning. Let's listen to it one more time in Daniel 7. And I want you to think about the incarnation, the humiliation, and then the exaltation. And I want you to think about the power and the title and the ability to judge and dominion. It all comes down to these verses. And it's speaking of Jesus. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through verse 14 says this. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. I go back to what we talked about last week in closing. Do you remember in Matthew 16, that intimate scene with Jesus there asking in Caesarea Philippi, who do you say, or who do people say that the Son of Man is? I guess my question would be the same for you today. Who's the Son of Man to you? What does that title mean to you? Who is the Son of Man? And what does it mean? But Peter answered correctly. You are the Messiah. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one come down from heaven. You're the exalted one. Peter answered it correctly. He is the eternal God who humbled himself in becoming flesh as his earthly life was one of humiliation. However, his humiliation was very short-lived as he was exalted in his burial and in his resurrection. His dissension allowed his ascension to the Ancient of Days where he currently sits. That's the hope of the Christian, isn't it? Right now, no matter what happens, that the Son of Man is setting and ruling and reigning on the throne. He sits with all authority in heaven and on earth, waiting for that day to which He will come and judge in perfect righteousness. He will judge the living and the dead on that day that's been appointed before the foundation of the world. And since He is the righteous judge, He will judge in righteousness. That means we only have one hope. Because we have no righteousness of ourselves. So I thought that we would end with one verse that speaks about the Son of Man and how you and I can stand before Him on that day, before the Son of Man who will judge in perfect righteousness. I believe we can end this sermon with this verse. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father in heaven, ancient of days, 
Lord, we thank You for these words. Lord, we thank You that You are merciful to us. And as casual and indifferent as we have been to reading the words, Son of Man, Lord, we ask for forgiveness and we ask for mercy, Lord, as we have so many times dishonored that title, dishonored who You are. And Lord, we pray that it never happens again. We pray that today is a, a change in our lives, a change in our mind, Lord, in our souls, that we will stop and, and we will uh, just give great attention to the title Son of Man and what it means. Lord, it is You. It is You who came and humbled Yourself, descended from heaven to enter Your creation, and humbled Yourself not only by taking on flesh, but becoming obedient to the death, even the death on the cross. And it is in this dissension, it is in this humiliation, Lord, that You have been exalted and that You can ascend on the clouds to the Ancient of Days, to where You currently are. Let us rejoice in that. Let us praise in that, Lord, that right now as we speak, You are ruling and reigning and You have eternal dominion and, and You are our God. And you are the righteous judge to which you will come and judge the living and the dead one day. And Lord, we know we have no hope without you. Lord, our only hope is you. And Lord, when we see this title and what it means that you are the Son of Man, let us stop and be humbled that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for unworthy broken earthen vessels so that we could stand before the Son of Man clothed in His righteousness and not ours. Lord, we give You glory. We give You praise. To You be the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.